Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs done well. I absolutely love this because, you know, if you own a home, it can be really hard to maintain. It's hard to find people that can help you for a big project or a small. Well, whether it's in everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality, it can be hard just to know where to start. But now all you need to do is answer that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience, and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish. Or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps, because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. Greetings, humans. You have entered the command zone, your destination for all aspects of Elder Dragon Highlander. Enjoy your stay. What's up, everybody? You are watching slash listening to the Command Zone podcast. I'm your host, Jimmy Wong. How's it? It's Jimmy Wong. I'm just me right now in front of the camera because we have a fun special podcast today. Josh can't be here, so we're going to do something really fun, of course, using members of our Command Zone team. We are talking about rule zero and how to play with house rules. Now, Hopefully, we hope that playgroups are going to get back to normal soon. You're going to be able to go to your LGS safely or play with your home groups. And hopefully, a lot of people that are just starting to play Magic are also going to get into it and help play with you. And that means a lot of new things need to be established, a lot of sort of protocols about how to play correctly. And part of that are house rules and the idea of rule zero. So that's what we're going to be talking about today is one of the most talked about aspects of the game is actually before the game even starts. And of course, all the unevenness that goes into a format with such a big audience. So we're going to talk about the house rules of magic and the rules of magic across all its different forms, the concept of rule zero, how it works for commander. And then we're going to hear from office mates here at the command zone about their house rules and fun stipulations that they've had playing commander. But first... If you want to support the show, you can do so directly at channelfireball.com slash command or use the code command at checkout. Look, if you want to be that person that plays a card and has everyone groaning at the table or play the card that has everyone celebrating, the only way you're going to do that is actually getting the card. So go to channelfireball.com slash command. That's our affiliate link. You're going to need to shop from their marketplace, and that means tons and tons of stores around the nation, LGSs, local game stores that could use your support all vying for your business by putting their singles and sealed product up there. So use the marketplace, use promo code command, or go to channelfireball.com slash command. You're going to buy those magic cards anyway maybe, anyway, maybe it's for yourself, maybe it's for a friend, maybe it's for someone just getting into the format. But use that promo code, you're supporting the show while you do so. Our other sponsor for the show is Ultra Pro. We use their products all the time. Josh and I have trusted their products for decades now, literal decades. I remember putting my very first dual land when I was in fifth grade into a top loader. And that top loader I still have today. It's a testament to Ultra Pro's quality back then and to the quality today as well. They make the best products in the business. They have the official license for all of the magic stuff and they have some cool stuff coming out this year like these hollow foil play mats that look amazing and feel great too with the stitched edging. So Ultra Pro makes the best products to protect your game pieces, the stuff that you buy that you want to stay in pristine condition. So check them out the next time you're at local game store or shopping online. Finally, last way to support the show is directly at patreon.com slash command zone. This is the best way to support the show because it is directly to us. We get a 
talk to our patrons directly on Discord at a certain tier. All of our patrons get to watch our content a day early when it comes to game nights and extra turns, not the podcast, of course. And we shout out one lucky patron every single episode. So this episode is dedicated to... Sounds kind of weird when I'm just doing it by myself. Justin Brunson. Justin, you rock. That was my best Josh Lee Quiet impression. All right, let's get into it. How to play with house rules, rule zero, all that good stuff surrounding the rules of Magic the Gathering. Here's the thing. Magic has a lot of rules. In fact, we have rules on rules on rules, and that doesn't rule. That kind of sucks because it gets a little complex. So today I'm going to help you break down how the set of rules works in Magic in general, how it applies to Commander, and then sort of the nitty-gritty of stuff like rule zero. So... Let's start with a concept that I just coined when I wrote this outline. It is the pyramid of rules. So for those of you listening along at home, I want you to imagine a pyramid. And a pyramid has one rock at the top. And as it goes down the pyramid, it gets wider and more and more rocks and stones are there. So at the very top of the pyramid are the fundamental core rules of magic. These are the rules that define how the game gets played, how to correctly do things, and how to not break the law, or I guess the rule set. If you've seen those new basic lands from the secret layer with all the text on them, when you read them, you'll realize there are a lot more rules to magic than you may actually have felt on the surface. But these core rules are basically your untap, upkeep, how to pass priority, how to resolve a spell, what the mulligan rules are, all of those sort of basic things. How does a turn go from phase to phase? How many lands can you play for turn in order to play magic the gathering your play group has to follow these fundamental rules they are the glue that binds all of magic the gathering together they're at the very top of the pyramid and if you don't follow those rules and there's no foundation to actually play the game with now Josh and I have advocated for this before, but we believe the best way to teach someone the mega basics of magic and how it works is by using MTG Arena. So Arena is the digital client for Magic the Gathering, the updated newest version, and it's got a great tutorial in it. It's going to give you starter decks to test out that also give you a flavor and idea of what each of the colors are and what they represent in gameplay. And more importantly, it won't let you do illegal stuff. So if you're just playing with a friend and you draw an opening hand of seven, you're like, all right, I play three lands and I cast a spell without tapping my mana, no one is going to be able to tell you, hey, you can't actually do that except for the person that's sitting across from you. When you're playing in Arena, you just simply cannot make illegal moves. And that way, it's a really easy way to start understanding, okay, what are the boundaries of play that I can do with magic? And what can I do that's within those rules? And if I'm trying to do something outside of it, we'll all know almost immediately. Not to mention they have their version of Clippy, which flies around telling you what's up in the game. So again, MTG Arena, we again, is just the easiest way to teach someone the absolute fundamental basics and there are upsides and downsides to this obviously when you tap a land the computer does it and sort of tilts it for you you don't actually go and physically do it yourself so there are some elements of untapping and all that stuff that the game does for you that you need to learn when you play paper magic but hopefully by that point you have a good enough understanding of the fundamentals from the game of mtg arena that your friends can sort of guide you through the rest of it or someone at your play group or someone at your lgs whatever it is now past that fundamentally having these rules down is great, but you want to strengthen them. You want to make sure that the top of the pyramid is nice and just complete so that when you're going into a game and playing a more complex format, you don't make simple mistakes. You actually understand some of the smaller nuances like holding priority, passing priority, things you may have seen on game nights or extra turns. So 
the best way to strengthen your fundamentals is just through practice, right? Playing the game more means you're gonna be involved in more situations, and there are so many cards in the history of Magic and Commander that every time you play a game, it's gonna be a different sort of roll of the dice as to what might happen. And as such, different rules might come up, different interactions, and you're gonna learn from that and your friends teaching you. What you're also gonna learn is by watching other people play, especially streamers or pro players, especially when they actually dictate to you why it is they're doing what they're doing. So now not only are you learning sort of the rules and maybe, oh, this is a clever interaction I can do here with this combo that I built, but you're also learning a little bit of that strategy as well. And getting to see the game through the viewpoint of someone else is a really, really just awesome way to learn. And that's that goes for anything, right? If you're gonna play basketball or you're gonna play golf or you're gonna play a game like chess, going and watching the people that are very good at doing it gives you so many different aspects to learn from. You can even learn how someone like Brian Kibler shuffles their hand when they're playing, or you can just learn how someone taps their mana or organizes it. I love watching pro players because the way that they organize their mana so that their brain can computate what they have available to them is something that I've learned from when I'm organizing my own board state. So again, learn from the professionals, learn from the streamers, the people that do this professionally, and also learn from your friends when you're playing with them. Finally, I'd say the best way to learn is just physically going to events like pre-releases, when of course it's safe to do so, and getting those cards in your hands for the first time, opening them, deck building, learning what restrictions there are, learning how to build the right curve and all that stuff. Those are other ways to strengthen the fundamentals while adding sort of that layer of strategy on top. So you've got the fundamentals with MTG Arena, and then you're going to strengthen those fundamentals by playing with other people, watching streamers and pro players play, and of course, going to events and challenging yourself and introducing your gameplay to new situations where you're going to have to adapt and learn and get better at what you're doing. All right, next up are the format rules of Magic. So at the top of the pyramid, we have the fundamental rules. And underneath that, because there are going to be more stones, are going to be the different format rules of Magic. And this is where the rules branch out. But here's the thing. These rules don't necessarily over supersede what the core fundamental rules of Magic are for untap, upkeep, and all that stuff. What the format rules do on the second tier of the pyramid is that the game rules for each format of Magic the Gathering are split. So Commander right now is the most popular format out of all of them but it didn't actually always used to be this way. When we started this podcast over seven years ago, it was limited and standard that were the two most popular formats. And then you had modern, legacy, vintage. And now, of course, we have even new rule sets for new formats like Pioneer, Historic, and now Alchemy. So whew, that's a lot of stones under that first top stone of the pyramid. And these are all the different formats of Magic. And they're what you may have played before coming into the game. Maybe it's what your friends play when they're not playing Commander. Or maybe it's what you watch on stream. So these rules typically are not super complex. They're more f focused on what the legal cards that are playable in the format. For instance, Modern has a specific amount of time of cards that's allowed to play up to a certain edition of cards and, and into the present. And Legacy and Vintage can use even older cards. And Commander, of course, can use the broadest and biggest card set of almost all of them. It might be the actual biggest of all of them. Not sure. It's that or Vintage. It's right around the same area. So of all the listed, almost all of them are 60 card decks. You're allowed to have four copies of each individual card in each deck, and you start with 20 life. So those are the format rules of Magic. They don't alter the fundamentals too much, except when it comes to maybe some deck building restrictions, what cards are legal, what's on the ban list. Now, Commander, out of all of them, is the most different because you've got things like you can only have one copy of each spell, excluding basic lands. Ma uh, Commander is the only singleton format out of all the popular formats I just named. You start with 40 life instead of 20. You have 
99 cards in the main deck instead of 60 or 40. And then you have one commander on top of that that dictates the deck building restrictions for your deck. So what colors are in your commander? Sh say what colors of cards you can put into your deck. And then, of course, in commander, you die to 10 infect. Wait, actually, just kidding. That's the exact same as it is in the other formats. Okay, so now our pyramid is getting built out. We have the top pyramid part, which is the fundamental rules. Under that, underneath that, we have the individual format rules of Magic. And then underneath that, we have the house rules of Magic or Commander or sort of how the format rules can be modified even one more time on top of what is the norm. So the final tier of the pyramid is really not occupied by a lot of the other regular formats. Commander is really the only one that needs to go another layer to add even more rules, which makes it kind of complicated. Um, I'd say the only thing that's close to that would be like Vintage, for instance, has restricted cards that you can only play one copy of, and then a format like Alchemy is digital only. So those might be the final subset of those rules. For Commander, of course, we have our own separate rules committee, and that may be one of the most unique parts about the format. Um, Commander is a multiplayer game, of course, so there is an actual philosophy of Commander page that I would actually include with the subset of Commander rules to a degree. So I'll read you a quote from that page. Commander is for fun focuses on a resonant experience, relying on a social contract in which each player is considerate of the experiences of everyone involved. So as you see there, these rules aren't saying, hey, you get two untapped phases or you can play two lands a turn. No, these rules involve a more philosophical approach to the format because it is a multiplayer experience. And as such, actually becomes an, a different game entirely sometimes from the more traditional formats of Magic. Because in 1v1, and we've talked about this on the show before, your goal is to win the game. Your goal is to get your opponent's life from 20 to zero or win by some other means. And if you do so, your opponent's gonna nod their head, say thank you, or good game, whatever it is, and then move on to their next game. In Commander, your goal not necessarily is always to win. Sometimes you might just be there because you want to see this crazy cool interaction pop off, or maybe you just want to combo these couple of cards, or you want to take one person out because they slighted you in that last game and you're still holding a grudge over it. Whatever it is, Commander's rule sets and how you play to win actually is very different. So it does require a bit of a philosophy behind it. And the idea of a social contract, contract might imply a rule set to you, but the social contract is more just sort of a generally agreed upon thing, right? I'm here to have fun, and I'm not here to take away from other people's fun. I want to involve other people in gameplay. I want to create a fun experience for everyone while making sure I maintain one for myself. That is an idea of a social contract. It's a little bit more loosey-goosey around the edges. And even though the word contract implies something that's much more set in stone, Commander is rarely that. So that means we have something called rule zero that applies to Commander. So now that we have an understanding of how the rules pyramid works all the way from the fundamentals to the formats to the specific rules of each format, so those subsets of rules, we can talk about the idea of rule zero and how to play and create your own house rules to go along with it and also how the rules committee sort of um, has said things about rule zero that give us a clearer idea of what it's about. Okay, 
Rule zero. So rule zero for commander is derived from the original meaning of the term, which I think, uh, according to my brief internet research, <laughs> uh, originally applied to tabletop RPGs. And the rule was generally that the game master is always right. So your dungeon master in D&D or your game master in the board game, if they said something, that was how it had to go. Now, that is not the same as it is in commander. In fact, the rule zero of those days, those olden days, has actually evolved quite a bit. And now it can be known to be a number of different, but similar-esque things. So rule zero could also mean do what's fun over what's not fun, or don't be a jerk. And in Commander, some of those elements are still there, but there are two main parts to understanding rule zero. And I drew this again from the uh, official Commander Rules Committee page. So the first part of rule zero is that rules can sort of be bent. And I'm not saying the fundamental core rules at the top of the pyramid, but rules overall can sort of be bent and wavered, not necessarily broken. So Toby Elliott of the Commander Rules Committee says, rules are not set in stone. They can and should be modified by playgroups and organizers to increase the overall fun of the group they want to cultivate. So a couple of important words there, cultivate and overall fun, right? Cultivate is the idea, not the uh, three mana ramp spell, but the idea that you're trying to grow something and you're trying to make something more bountiful. You're trying to increase its yield, right? You're growing something from the ground up. It is going to be bigger and presumably better than it was a day before, a week before, blah, blah, blah. So when you want to have an overall, when you're focusing on the overall fun of the group and you're wanting to cultivate that, that means that when rules need to quote unquote be bent or they're not set in stone, it means that you might be a little more lax when it comes to a mulligan rule for a new player or someone is trying something out for the first time so they have a playtest card in there instead. Now, in official tournament magic, you can't be taking those playtest cards out. But when it comes to your casual commander group, even at your local game store to a certain degree, you can make sure that these rules aren't so set in stone that it's stopping another player from actually having fun. And commander, it's not a cheap format. There are a lot of times that we want to put in cards to our decks that are going to cost way more or are just prohibitive in one way or the other. So giving players a chance, for instance, to use a playtest card instead allows them to grow their overall fun, hopefully cultivate the playgroup to be more lax around these sorts of things, but also making sure that there are restrictions so that not everyone brings in a deck of just pieces of paper inside cardboard, if that makes sense. So the second part of rule zero uh, we're going to talk about is the pregame discussion. And Gavin Duggan writes this as power level, agreeing how long you can expect the game to go, what levels and types of interaction are enjoyable, etc. So the pregame discussion, we're going to spend a little bit of time to talk about. The first part that we talked about, which is the rules can be bent idea, those are sort of a little closer to what the house rules are for Commander. So we'll get more into that in a bit when we talk to the rest of the staff here at the Command Zone. So let's talk about the pregame discussion part of Rule Zero, which, what I think is most commonly known by players in the community as to what Rule Zero means. This part is unique entirely to the Commander format. You don't really find the pregame discussion happen when you're playing a standard game with someone else. You don't sit down and go, hey, what, what power level is your deck at? What turn are you trying to win by? Because I, you know, I just need to know. That's too much information. That doesn't actually pertain to the goal of those games, which is to win. Commander, it seems like the goal is more to have fun, enjoy your play group, enjoy the experience. And as such, it's kind of like a board game night. So let's talk about rule zero, the second part of it, the pregame discussion, and how a game pans out and how it really makes a big difference when it comes to Commander. So the first point here is, why is it important that players get on the same level? 
So in a typical board game setting, let's say you're playing Settlers of Catan or Monopoly, sort of the, the games that everyone knows how to play, right? Each player, when you're going to sit down at the table, what you're bringing is your experience and gamesmanship when it comes to the boundaries of that game. Okay, when you're all playing Catan, everyone is going in proper turn order, you're playing with the pieces provided to you by the game, and the way that you win is by being better at wheeling and dealing your resources, or in Monopoly, maybe you're better at trading with people or understanding when someone's about to get a Monopoly and working with other players against them. So there are really similar things to what Commander has, but you're restrained to what's in the box. In Commander, each player is bringing their own unique deck to the table, and they're building that deck out of a collection of their own cards, maybe cards they got from a friend or as a gift. And so as a result, the amount of variance that can happen is incredibly high, right? You could go from my first Commander deck, which was just a blue-black legendary creature, and then 99 cards that I thought fit in there, all the way to a highly tuned level 10 CEDH deck. That variance, right, is insane. You can't get that when it comes to a board game where all the contents of the game are inside the box. So the variance creates natural imbalances, and that higher level of variance can also affect the amount of fun people have because no one wants to get absolutely shut out or counterspelled to oblivion. So it's really important to get on the same level with the pregame discussion. It's, it's sort of like a formalized idea in Rule Zero that we were trying, we're trying to maximize the enjoyment of the game, and getting everyone on that same page is really important to make sure that, one, your expectations are managed, you know what you're bringing, or maybe you can even switch a deck if you think, oh, you know what, this is too powerful or too weak for the table, so I want to bring something that is going to have more play, more interaction, or maybe I need something that focuses on its goal because everyone else is really trying to do their combo thing, so I'm going to try and out-combo them, right? So there is an amount of gamesmanship that comes into play there. Um, it could also be, hey, we're just playing pre-cons against each other for this first game, or hey, we're bringing out our nastiest decks for this first game as well. And so if you're not in that discussion, you don't know what's happening, and you can't, haven't set your expectations or haven't brought the right deck to that game, you're going to have a varied experience, and that experience may sour you a little bit. It may make you unhappy or just sad or upset or felt like you wasted your time, and we're busy people. And we're trying to get these playgroups back in action. So that time is actually really valuable. So that is really why it's important to be on the same page when it comes to rule zero. Now, saying all this in front of a camera is much easier than actually getting it done in real life. Because the second point to the pregame discussion of rule zero is that talking to people is hard. And I am being very serious when I say this, okay? I always think about the fact that Josh and I have now had seven years of sitting next to each other at a table talking and podcasting, and that, as a result, has allowed us to just spew out words, right? I can sit in front of you and talk for 30 straight minutes because of all those years of practice. But that discussion, talking to other people, and especially when it's people you don't know, it's not something that you get to do every day, right? It's kind of in a strange experience if you've done it for the first time. It's it's a new experience, one that might actually bring you a little bit of anxiety because you're not that social of a person or you, you don't want to say the wrong thing, right? There's lots of different areas where our minds can sort of trip us up when it comes to having this talking to other people and setting expectations part of the rule zero pregame discussion. A lot of the success that comes from these pregame discussions, I think, actually depends on our ability as humans to share that space with each other. And every playgroup is going to be really different when it comes to this. Having this conversation with strangers obviously is going to be hard, but that, do that doesn't mean that having a conversation with your best friends is going to be easy as a result, right? Sometimes talking about these things can make someone a little sensitive. Maybe it makes you sensitive. Maybe you feel affronted or offended that someone would call your deck a pub-stomping piece of crap. 
whatever it is, right, that conversation you can already tell has a lot of different ways it can go off the rails. So I think, you know, similar to what I was saying earlier about how you can get better at the game by just playing it, a better way to get better at the rule zero pre-game discussion is just simply doing it more and also allowing that discussion to evolve based on what people are bringing to the table. So you might find that, you know, every time you have your pregame discussion, it goes really simply. Everyone names the, the what they think are, is the power level of their deck and whether or not they're counterspell heavy, and then that's it. Now, you may find that on the third or fourth game, that discussion doesn't actually cover all the bases of what you need to talk about before you play the game. Maybe you need to sit down and talk about, hey, I have three infinite combos in here and five tutors. And as a result, I'm trying to win the game on turn four or five, and I'm not counterspelling anyone. Now, some of you might be thinking, but that gives away the whole strategy of my deck. Uh, how am I ever going to play if everyone knows exactly what I'm trying to do? And maybe you don't have to go that in depth, but that amount of information is much different than, oh, I think my deck's like an eight out of 10. And yeah, I'm trying to counterspell you maybe once or twice. That doesn't really give people the information. If you're saying, hey, I'm packing CEDH level level cards here. I'm packing zero mana counterspells. I'm trying to lock you out with stasis-esque effects. That way people understand, okay, I'm not going to bring this deck to the table. I don't think it really stands up to what's going on over there. And as a result, you want to have better conversations. And so having the conversations and allowing them to evolve over time is how you're going to get better at that communication. You're going to get better at knowing what exactly you should be talking about or asking about for other people's decks before you start playing the game. And I think it's also really important to focus on the end goal, right? You, we can get caught up in all these different little things. I don't want to tell people about my deck. I'm just a better player. That's why I win. I'm just a worse player. That's why I lose. Because the end goal, I think, of all commander groups, and correct me if I'm wrong, is to have fun. And of course, having a good time together, spending your time wisely, feeling fulfilled at the end of it is why we spend so much time building our decks, listening to these podcasts, watching gameplay videos is because we want to bring that magic into our lives, pun intended. Um, and that, that doesn't mean that games end in a draw either, right? There is a natural push and pull of commander. There are highs and lows to each game. And those are what contribute to a fun night, right? with your friends, with your family, with strangers at the LGS. No one wants to walk away having a bad experience. Now, of course, everyone's perspective and their own definition of fun is going to be unique to them. But the idea that I'm trying to hearken to here is that for humans to truly play together, right, together, we are playing together collaboratively, but still competitively, not necessarily purely just out of fun fun, is that the spirit of that collaboration on all those different levels is what makes Commander unique. So I'm gonna give you a few examples here of what I think is collaborative and what is not. So politics in Commander are collaborative. However, manipulation is not. So really easy example of this is, hey, uh, does everyone see that Craig is kind of the problem here? I agree, I agree, I agree. Okay, well, I can get rid of one piece and that's what the best I can do. So hopefully we can whittle down what we recognize are the biggest pieces here. Craig goes, oh no, I'm being targeted again, but not unfairly. I understand how it's happening. Here's the thing. Hey, Jim, if you don't remove that piece, I think we can also agree that Becca over here is presenting quite a threat and that thing is really bad for your deck. So how about I remove that and you don't hit me? So those are politics. That conversation can go any number of ways, but at the end of it, you're having good faith discussions and you're talking about things and everyone at the table is engaged in it and they're making deals and sort of coming to a conclusion together. Manipulation, on the other hand, is, hey, don't do that, otherwise I'm gonna come after you for the next five games. Hey, don't, you're, right, you're using more uh, techniques of threat. Maybe you're using more techniques of, hey, I know I, I, I can talk down to this person or I've talked down this 
person before, or I have a personal grudge against them that I'm going to enact in this game. And as a result, I'm going to twist everyone else around this person, right? That's manipulation. That is much more controlling. That is much more on the side of, I want to have fun and I don't really care about how other people feel about it. So when it comes to collaboration, politics, when done right, can be really collaborative and a lot of fun. But when it comes to being more manipulative, more controlling about what you want to happen, and you're not thinking about the group as a whole, it can be a bit more, uh, well, not so fun. Another example of this is Arch Enemy. So Arch Enemy, like I just described in this situation, that idea is collaborative. People are figuring out there's a common threat and they're teaming up to go against them. Ganging up on someone for no reason is not really collaborative and not so fun. So the idea there is that if you know that Craig always plays the most powerful decks at the table, but he's mana screwed, don't go and target him just because he's won in the past. But that doesn't mean let him off the hook either, right? So the ganging up aspect, as opposed to Arch Enemy, which has arrived at more of a group consensus, is not as fun. So don't do the ganging up part, do more of the Arch Enemy discussion part. And the final example I'll give is that compliments are collaborative and insults are not. This one's pretty self-explanatory. Uh, the idea of a compliment being collaborative is that when you say something nice to someone else or when someone else says something nice to you and they genuinely mean it, you feel better. You feel cooler. You feel happier. You feel, oh, uh, maybe validated that the card you put into your deck is actually doing the work. And wow, that's such an awesome, like Craig does this, for instance. You'll play a card. He's never seen it before. He takes a picture of it with his phone. That, in a way, is a compliment. He's paying you a compliment by saying, I think that card is so worth it. I'm going to take a picture of it maybe get it for myself later. That makes everyone feel better at the table. It makes you feel better for putting it in your deck. And it creates an environment where we're more willing to be positive or do things that create positive outcomes. Whereas if you're insulting someone, uh, lambasting them for doing something that even if they have established that, hey, I'm playing a stasis deck, you're calling them a bad person for doing so, or you're an evil bad person for playing Infect, and you really mean it. Those insults are not collaborative. They contribute to an overall more negative atmosphere around the table. And here's the thing. I'm not saying that every single game needs to be pure, happy rainbows and sunshine with little beanie babies and any other kids' things running around, blues, clues, yada, yada. No, that's not the case. A lot of the best tables I've been at are ones with my best friends where we can playfully rib on each other. We can sort of insult each other, poke each other, play a little fun. Hey, oh, wow, you oh, man, Jimmy, your man screwed again. That's not an insult. That is more teasing. And teasing is something that I think if it's agreed upon and is not done in a harmful or malicious way or malevolence, can be a really fun atmosphere as well. So just keep these things in mind. I'm not trying to be the fun police here. I'm not trying to virtue signal and say, do this or that. But I am saying, pay attention to the interactions that you're having around the table and how they play into the entire idea of a pregame discussion. Because when you're doing that pregame discussion, oftentimes it's more about, it's more than just about what power level your deck is and what turn you want to win by. Sometimes it's also about how does everyone's philosophy of how to play commander line up? Are people here just for a competitive game? In which case, great, expectations are set, feelings won't be hurt if things get a little wild and you're counterspelling counterspells, yada, yada. But if everyone's here just to have fun, then maybe there will be some negative side effects of being a player that plays against the expectations that everyone has set with that pregame discussion. So just keep practicing. Right? Everyone's going to make mistakes and playgroups evolve over time. And some of the best ways you can evolve are from making a big mistake or from having an event happen that people have to sit down and talk about or process and learn to get stronger and be better from. So, 
you know, playgroups don't just have to be magic either. I know lots of playgroups that play magic maybe one night a week and other nights they'll be playing the new board games that just came out. And they have already a built-in camaraderie and collaborative spirit that they can then transfer to magic, which allows for a lot more magic to actually happen. All right. Now that we've gotten that nitty gritty stuff out of the way, we are going to very shortly be sitting down with our office mates to talk about the concept of house rules and how they've applied it to their own playgroups. But first, we got to hear from our mid sponsors. Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs done well. I absolutely love this because, you know, if you own a home, it can be really hard to maintain. It's hard to find people that can help you for a big project or a small. Well, whether it's in everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality, it can be hard just to know where to start. But now all you need to do is answer that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience, and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish. Or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps, because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. Now streaming only on Disney+. Plus. My name is Taylor. Welcome to the Eras Tour. Experience Taylor Swift's record-breaking Eras Tour. Swift Vieira's Tour, Taylor's version, with four additional acoustic songs. Now streaming only on Disney+. Plus. Purchase new wiper blades from O'Reilly Auto Parts today and we'll install them for free. See better and drive safer with O'Reilly Auto Parts. Oh, 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 O'Reilly Auto Parts. All right, we are back talking about the rules of Magic the Gathering, rule zero and house rules. And you know what? House rules rule. I just actually recently saw a Twitter thread about some custom house rules, and I was shocked at how many they had. This was like two pages of notes on a phone. And I was also pleasantly surprised at how many of them were pretty fun and seemed like a lot of them were based out of sort of inside jokes and stuff. They had special mulligan rules. They have some silly inside jokes. They have a punishment for people for being the person that has to cut other people's decks after they shuffle them. And it's sort of a mix of what feels like sort of like your game show antics and punishments to actual changes to establish rules. And while I don't personally agree with all of them, I think it's still really great to see just the amount of diversification that people can have when it comes to creating their own house rules. And this playgroup, just based on this alone, must have a really fun and dynamic and awesome relationship. So one thing that we want to establish here is that even though house rules can be super fun, I do think it's really important to not let them get out of hand. Um, unless, of course, again, you are a very established play group and you are everyone is on board. So just like the discussion that we had before the mid-roll break about talking to people and how it's difficult, house rules, uh, they're a similar concept when it comes to broaching them with a play group. So house rules are a set of rules that deviate from or alter or are outside of the established rules by the rules committee. So house rules 
as a result of this, can be wildly different and wildly creative. These new rules typically tend to come up or evolve from a group decision or something that has sort of slowly become mutually agreed upon until finally it's sort of like, okay, you know what? We're gonna set this one in stone. You can't play this card anymore or no more stacks-based effects at, at or stacks-based decks at our playgroup, whatever it is, right? But it takes a while to get there and usually it's a conversation that playgroups are having as it's happening. So, of course, these things can be triggered by different events or recurring events, sometimes the attitudes of the players or even the expectations of what people want and the circumstances of the playgroup. So just to give you an example of some of the things that house rules can affect, the card power level. So maybe you're a playgroup filled with new players. Maybe you can just say, hey, look, we just tried to not play really powerful cards because no one here has the chance to get them. We're all just playing this game for the first time. Or maybe it's a highly experienced playgroup where it's just straight up, hey, look, no ban list. The original one, we don't care. Just play whatever you want. That's another thing that can happen, which is an altered or a different ban list. A lot of house groups I know have bans on cards that maybe just extend the game by too long. Maybe they say no extra turn spells. Whatever it is, these rules have sort of come up over time, maybe because someone was abusing that and, and taking over the night and making turns last 20 minutes. Some house rules involve the mulligan rule. So we have a pretty casual mulligan rule whenever I play. If I'm playing especially with a new player, I just tell them, hey, look, keep drawing to seven until you get a hand that works, that has some card draw, has some ramp in it. Don't worry about going to six, going to five, or don't shuffle your deck every single time you need a mulligan. Just take seven more off the top, right? There's lots of different alterations to mulligans. Uh, some house rules have restrictions on infinite combos or how many infinite combos each deck can have or no two-card infinite combos, whatever it is. Some house rules are saying no mass land destruction, no counter spells allowed. And then there's, of course, house rules that are affecting more arbitrary things. So we once had a, um, I think we were playing with Urza's Drink Ticket. It was an uncard, and we just thought it was fun that you could play it. Or you could play Cheaty Face if you managed to slip it out onto the table and no one saw you play it. There are special rewards maybe for challenges that people have or you know punishments for things that are silly or whatever it is. One thing, however, is very important when it comes to house rules is that everyone needs to agree to them in order for them to work. And that's what makes house rules kind of tricky. Having a set of rules that is different every single time you go play somewhere else, that's going to affect you a lot because maybe the deck you have doesn't have certain cards in it, or maybe you've banned cards in it that are legal elsewhere. So when you take your deck to that local game store or your friend's playgroup, all of a sudden it's like, oh, shoot, I actually need that card or I want to play that card because it's now allowed to. So that's going to make it a little bit harder, especially because your decks are big and you've got a lot of different rule sets in your mind. So that's why, again, we suggest if you're going to dip your foot into the world of house rules, keep it simple and keep it fun. So with that in mind, knowing how intense and complicated house rules can get to how basic they can be as well, let's hear a little bit from our friends here at the office about some of their fun house rules. We're gonna hear from five people total today, including myself. So I assigned a number to everyone's names and I rolled a D6 to determine the order. And first up, we have our good friend, Truck Tie. All right, welcome to the show, Truck. Good hey. to have you here. Thanks for having me. Of course. Okay, so we talked a little bit about this, but you've actually played some very wild and wacky games. We've also played some League of Legends together. Yeah. So <laughs> it was pretty entertaining, honestly. There was a lot of yelling, but I could tell 
from that, and of course, by playing Commander you with you uh, with you in the office, that you are someone that enjoys the fun aspect more than necessarily the competitive part. So that's the nicest I've ever heard anyone ever talk about how I fed in a game. <laughs> you weren't feeding. Maybe <laughs> maybe the opponents were just hungry. Okay, <laughs> so let's talk about one of the house rules that you instituted or your playgroup has instituted, and that is the idea that you can have a planeswalker as a commander. So how did this come about? Oh, yeah. So um, the guys that taught me how to play Magic, they all started um, right before Lorwyn came out. Mm -hmm. And for those of you who don't know, Lorwyn was the first set where uh, Planeswalkers were introduced. And everyone was like, oh my gosh, this is so awesome. They, they just like, they wanted to put it in everything. Mm -hmm. And the mindset carried until basically today. So oh. yeah, we just wanted to play with Planeswalkers as much as we could. Right. And did they, were they playing Commander back then? Or was it, they just loved Planeswalkers so much when they were playing Commander? Like, why can't we make these our Commanders? No, yeah, it was definitely so, uh, like, we were already playing Planeswalkers. Mm -hmm. They found out about Commander, and it's like, why can't Planeswalkers be Commanders? That's so weird. And then, you know, some are printed with this, Planeswalker yeah. can be your Commander. And like, we, we should just have all of them be Commanders. Just have all of them, yeah. Okay, so in that case, what Planeswalkers have you seen in your playgroup that have been sort of the decks or your friends' go-tos? <sighs> so... The Planeswalkers they picked were usually like emblematic of their play style. So we had a guy, um, loved Mill, bless his heart, but he <laughs> loved Mill. So he would um, he would go for all the different like Mill Jaces. Um, I can't remember which one's which, but like all the Jaces that make you just go, okay, he's playing Jace. I see, I see. Yeah. Now, is that person have uh Bruvac, the grandiloquent deck as well or is it just no i just love jace so much it no he 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 has other like dedicated mill decks with like actual commanders he could bring wow. and like, multiple like, mill decks yeah like i'm not gonna name names but... <laughs> it's okay it's okay yeah. um so if someone does have a planeswalker as a commander like you said w let's say it's a blue white commander or a green red whatever when they bring it to an lgs do they have a legendary creature that can slot in for that slot i would say generally no like there are exceptions like mm -hmm. the mill guy I was talking about he would but that's because that's his entire thing i he see just plays mono blue mill um but like other really common ones like um i had a friend who loved garrick mm -hmm. um there probably wasn't another card he had that he could just slot in when like you could play garrick right right so in that case these decks really only functioned within your own playgroups exactly our playgroup so i'd say like 99 percent of all the games we played were with each other so mm -hmm. um it's also probably important to know our playgroup like in that like the lowest power level you could possibly think of. <laughs> so like no shade to all any of us because it was some of the funnest commander games I've ever played. Right. But I have lost games to like grizzly bears before. <laughs> okay, well, I know that feeling quite well. Um, and you also mentioned that you all do a free mulligan. Yep, yep. Um, I think it's along with like the power level thing. Uh -huh. If your deck is like... You know, if there are more seven drops in your deck than two drops, people were just like, yeah, let's just let's just add a free mulligan, you know, make games a little more competitive. Right, right. So they yeah. don't get stuck with bad hands or you have to mulligan down really low. Exactly. Okay. Okay. So I'm getting a pretty good image now of why these house rules exist. And you had one more fun story is that you all have played super weird commanders. Yeah. So tell me about this. So... This is one of those nights where like you've been playing Commander for a little bit already. Everyone's a little like out of it. Yeah. And then a friend just pulls out his old like trade binder. There are like magic cards, Pokemon cards, Yu-Gi-Oh cards. And then he just smacks down a blue eyes white dragon and is like, <laughs> this is my Commander. And we're like, you know what? 
we're gonna do it. <laughs> and then we, you know, we we made up some like weird rules, like the how the it worked within the actual thing. Yeah, yeah. It it basically ended up just being a giant three thousand. 2500 like beat stick wow that's incredible because it yeah. does have pretty impressive numbers on there yeah but the fact that you were willing to get to that level even if it was for one night i feel like your playgroup is very comfortable with each other oh yeah it's it like because we were basically the only people we ever played with anyway mm -hmm. like if we had a cool idea we wanted to try like the other people in the playgroup are the only people we could try with so I it's see. like we're gonna try literally everything can't hurt if we do it once um <laughs> I, i'd say it like uh, specifically the blue eyes one it was hilarious the night we did it right um but it's probably the kind of thing where like if you it was like a once a week kind of thing that that probably get pretty boring pretty gotcha. fast yeah so it was just a one night only thing but the planeswalkers as commanders that is just a normal always oh, yeah. valid always always allowed yeah very good to know well truck you played a lot of games across your life and obviously a lot of league of legends you got pretty high up in the competitive rankings so do you have any words of wisdom for any gamers out there or groups of gamers as someone who has been through hell itself playing <laughs> ranked league of legends um if you are a fellow league of legends player mm -hmm. my condolences okay uh the new season is about to come out <laughs> All I can say is Kamigawa is about to come out. It's ah, a great time to quit. I would if I could. Quit? You mean you mean focus more on magic? Yeah, yeah. While this yeah, whole set comes. Yeah, obviously. Gotcha. <laughs> All right. Thank you, Truck, for being on the show and sharing about your house rules. Yeah, thanks for having me. All right. Next up, we have the one and only Jake Boss. All right, Jake, welcome, welcome. I personally, just going to say right off the bat, I think your play style is one of the most fun at the office. Well, thank you. <laughs> you have this oversized deck that's literally the size of like a commander case. Can you describe what it, that deck is? Uh, so basically, it's a bunch of oversized cards that are, uh, one is one way, and then the other is another way, so that you counteract the curl. Um, <laughs> because these things obviously get really curly, the They're oversized huge, cards. yeah. And then uh, I just proxied up the deck underneath these oversized cards, uh, double-sleeved it, and then found a box that fits it perfectly. Uh, we'll probably show a picture here, but the picture doesn't do it justice. <laughs> just imagine a uh, whole bunch of plastic and 200 oversized cards and yeah. proxies. And you would kind of need this entire <laughs> table to play each card like you would in a regular game. So it's just yeah. really funny to play against. Yeah, the fun part about that is it's a Zedru deck. So you take these big stupid <laughs> cards and give them to <laughs> give other people. Other people. <laughs> so it's their problem now. <laughs> Amazing. Okay, so let's talk about some of the house rules that you have used to augment your gameplay. Uh, and this one, I actually think it's really fun. It's, you call it Hidden Commander. So how's it work? Yeah, uh, so Hidden Commander, I actually talked about this a long time ago on the Commander Summit, uh, back before I worked at Command Zone. Oh, nice. But uh, basically, my playgroup in Portland, we came up with, uh, you start the game with your commander face down, and you try to pick a deck that your uh, playgroup doesn't know very well. Mm. Uh, and then as we're ramping, it takes the first four turns and makes it so much more fun. Uh, <laughs> so I remember I was playing against uh, our friend Eric Landis. Um, and Luke. Yeah, classic uh, Command Zone fan. Mm -hmm. um, and I was like, hmm, there's no way you're just playing Boros, are you? It, like, there must be some Knight in here or something. Turns out he was playing Fire Song and Sunspeaker. Um, and just that little surprise spiced up the bedroom a little bit or the, the right, playgroup, play I suppose. Right, right, right. Um, 
Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. You're kind of figuring out, and also maybe even changing the way you play, the lands you play out too, like small things like right. that, which you normally kind of just brush past in commander games, right? Yeah, it's kind of fun because uh, there are some decks like, say, my favorite, Brutaclad, where you don't cast the commander until you're ready to win. Right. So you can kind of obfuscate your strategy and set up this really great board state, and then when you're ready to close the deal, be like, ba-bam, guess what I am? <laughs> and everyone's like, ah, we could have seen these tokens a mile away. Yeah, like there's some stuff like let's say a carador deck or a reese the redeemed deck where you can probably guess what the person is playing right and then you know it's just a fun guessing game but the mystery uh and the setup and reveal for your opponents like i remember there was this thread on reddit a long time ago about somebody sleeving up a bunch of copies of cheaty face <laughs> and then getting those all onto the battlefield um this is that type of feeling to me is like a big reveal moment that's right. where i'm that's what I get in the game for, show-stopping moments. It seems like your playgroup is pretty fun, that they like to sort of joke around and, and play around. Uh, do you find that the play styles kind of reflect that as well, and, and just what people bring to the table attitude-wise? Yeah, yeah. My playgroup down here in L.A. is... Uh especially remote has been a lot with craig and uh d yeah, and yeah, yeah. our friend pope uh and our style is kind of beer and pretzels uh <laughs> meets commander classics so the commander greatest hits of like i don't even know uh, what, all of craig's decks like reese the redeemed or exactly. d plays a calia deck yeah yeah exactly like just the big time classics like all of your commander favorites in one album on five <laughs> cds or whatever uh that's <laughs> our kind of play style and it, it's the same thing with the card list too like we don't really do hipster cards uh all that much and it's just kind of like you know hanging with your buddies classics um and the comfortable thing about that is instead of talking about like oh here's what this card does and let me explain this to you and you can kind of hang back and catch up with your buddies and that's oh, our style which is like i wish i could come here and be like oh i'm the most subversive cool hipster player <laughs> who has like the newest picks and the hottest tech for you but really I love the friendship part of it. So that's our playgroup's play style for sure. That's great. It's almost like an excuse to just hang out around, almost like you're watching a TV show together. Yeah. Occasionally one person wins, does something nuts, but it's also like, how was your week? How's it going? What are you up to? Yeah. And when you like develop a rhythm with certain people, like you find your people uh, and it kind of goes one by one and don't lose those phone numbers with people mm. uh, who gel with the way that you're trying to do it. Cause not everybody wants to be beer and pretzels. Right. Some people might be, you know, I want to talk game, and you know when you're done you pass the turn and you've thought about your turn before the thing <laughs> but i would like to hear about you know pope hosing off his uh house <laughs> or <laughs> just doing the random life things yeah like what yeah. sword did d review recently <laughs> <laughs> yeah that's a great point well that's really great thanks so much for joining us jake i love hearing this sort of more casual take but still very serious commander gameplay at the end of it yes sir i'm glad to be here all right all right moving on next we have the one and only ashlyn rose all right, Ashlyn, now you are uh, someone that's played across the West Coast. I actually first met you when you were playing at a store in the Bay Area in San Francisco, yeah. and now you play in playgroups down here in L.A. So let's talk about your LGS and then the house rules that you guys brought whenever you played there. So what was your LGS called? Yeah, okay, so played in the Bay Area. I always played at uh, Anime Imports. That was where we started our whole journey. Indeed, yeah. It's yeah. a great store. Uh, they moved since we first went there. Yeah. Uh, big shout out to Mike who runs the store. He is someone that I feel like really genuinely loves and cares for his community. And they have Commander Nights there, right? They do. They have Commander Nights and they, they do have a really good community. They're always doing something fun around their communities too. He's always mm -hmm. started like really interesting fun things for the pods or like for pre-release events. Like you all would drive up 
up for pre-release events. Yeah, we would. Times. Yeah, they would do something called the Gauntlet, which oh. was like seven or eight pre-release events across the weekend, and then whoever won that got a special prize at the end. So it was sort of like an extra incentive to play in all of them. Yeah, um, and not much sleep had. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and sad news, their store actually got broken into again just three weeks ago. So if you're ever in the area, make sure you check it out. It's called Anime Imports. Yeah. Really an amazing, amazing space. Um, so you brought your own playgroup there and you guys had your own band list. That's right. Yes. So we had a pod there um, that, and we had our own band list. It wasn't like the store's band list or anything, but it was just one that we wanted mm-hmm. because we had cards we didn't like. And that was... Cyclonic Rift ah, and uh, Expropriate were the two that I can remember. Right. Oh, so there are, it may have grown or shrank depending yeah. on sort of the attitudes of what's everyone. Yeah. So why were these cards banned? Was it like a game that went on for five hours? And like, <laughs> you know what? We don't want this anymore. Or what happens? You know, I don't know what caused the source of the ban. I just knew they were banned. Mm-hmm. I, but when I came into it, it felt like it made sense to me just because Knowing like the people of that group, mm-hmm. you could tell that if those cards were to come out, it's like it would affect their their mood or opinion. And, you know, depending on your play group, right. you, you want to have a good time. Usually if you're playing at home, you're not playing to compete. You're not trying to win. So if it's something that's going to like just tilt people, like why play with it? Like just 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 make, yeah. the, make the rule. Don't put it in the deck. In the same vein, if expropriate was banned, no one was just running around playing time warp either. Right. To take extra turns. I'm assuming not. Although I don't, I think, I don't know, to be honest. <laughs> I just, I think there was something about expropriate that was specifically Just a little too much. Up the, yeah, just too much over the top. Yeah. 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 I mean, that makes sense. And I think what you said is really important, which is, you know, it's more of a culture thing. You're trying to extend how much fun you're playing at that playgroup. Now, if someone else at the store were to come in and had a Cyclonic Rift in their deck and wanted to play with your playgroup, what would sort of happen then? Uh, usually what would happen is you just tell them to like shuffle it. It's yeah. just like, oh, that didn't happen. Next card. Right, right. Just draw another one off yeah. the top or whatever. Right. Yeah, I was pretty chill with that. And people seem to be pretty relaxed and okay with all of these things. I'm assuming there wasn't a huge fuss over this ever. No, I mean, I think there was definitely times when they were like deciding, okay, these cards probably aren't healthy for a group. Is <laughs> <laughs> when there was when uh, those cards would be played because yeah, they're right. just not. They weren't a good time for people. Right, right. So in that case, you know, when someone's not having a good time, you might say it causes a rift in the group. Uh, (laughs) Um, And then finally, you also uh, would also sometimes sort of augment the gameplay with plane chase, right? Yes, I love plane chase. That was actually my favorite way to play EDH is EDH plane chase. Yeah, yeah. Uh, It's just a lot of fun because you get these global effects that affect everyone's decks and it kind of messes with the power level uh, and dynamics and anyone who's like in the lead could just flip uh, at the <laughs> roll of a dice pretty yeah, much. Yeah, yeah, literally. And there's also that one plane that if you roll the dice correctly, you just get an annihilator Eldrazi, yeah. right? <laughs> <No> <laughs> and wonder. there's the go plane. Oh, so right, good. right. Yeah, so plane chase, for those of you who don't know, these are like altered cards. They're kind of like global enchantments that live in the middle of the desk. Uh, you can roll a dice to flip it to the next one and again chase after another plane but they have these crazy world altering effects sometimes um so that's great though because it seems like the emphasis was really on like what wild things could happen not necessarily who's most optimized for every single little move right right exactly it was definitely we weren't for like meta decks it was totally just hey what's the craziest uh, thing you could build it was Mm -hmm. definitely a group of brewers for sure yeah 
And I think um, the other thing that we also did was we really liked doing five-pointed star for oh, right. um, uh, groups of five. And it was a really fun way to just make that go faster. Right. Is it you have like secret allies or you have to specifically try and knock someone else out? Yeah, it's like so you do it diagonally. So the person next to you would not be someone you can attack mm. or um, like interact with. You have to attack like diagonally. Oh, I'm so like yeah, pointing cross. Like, so yeah one yeah. one over yeah one yeah. over uh, to uh, interact with them and then once that those people are gone then the people next to you are fair game yeah this actually all makes sense because here in la you have your own sort of board game playing yeah. mini group of, of game gamers right yes i do we're what slowly a, cultivating the group <laughs> nice well we just talked about cultivating earlier in this episode too so what uh what board games have you all played recently oh my gosh uh so we just started one called the crew mm. which is a, a collaborative one where you you work together, but you can't talk. And I love those types of games because you really have to learn to communicate with each other and trust in each other ah, and uh, to get cool. the job done and like complete these missions, right? Uh, another one we've been playing is Galaxy Truckers. I, oh yeah, great game. Yeah, Galaxy Truckers. It's a awesome, uh, you get to build like your own spaceship essentially uh, on a board and then you go trucking through the galaxy and see if it falls apart or not. So That's it's great. great. That's cool. I mean, I think all of this really makes a lot of sense in the context of hearing the house rules of your play group. You all are there to have fun and yeah. you all are there to create a good time for everyone else around and hopefully walk away with some memories at the end of it. Yeah, pretty much. It's all, it's all for good fun. Indeed. All right. Well, thank you so much, Ashlyn, for being on the show and sharing those house rules. Yeah. Thanks for having me. All Bye. Right. Next up, we have Shauna Gillis. All right, welcome, Shauna, to the Command Zone podcast. Now, Thanks so much. You are quickly being known as our resident CEDH player, which is great because you're joining like Craig as our resident Infect player. So yeah, you're I in good company. I don't know if I'd like to be related to Craig, but that's fine. Well, Y'all are playing a bit more cutthroat than the rest of us. So I'm really interested <laughs> to hear about some of the house rules that you instituted. And this was actually at your own local game store, right? Oh, yeah. It was called Chupacabra Games, and it's in Naperville, Illinois. Mm. And I've been going to that LGS since I was like a tiny, tiny kid. I remember we lived like really close to it for a while. And I would be running there with like my deck box in one hand and like two dice in the other and like <laughs> running across streets terrified. Oh, but yeah, I've been, I've been going there for so long that I thought this house rule was like an everyone rule. <laughs> and then I talked about it and like referenced this episode and everybody was like, what are you talking about? <laughs> we <laughs> don't do amazing. that. It's great. So the house rule was in place before you even started playing commander there? Yeah, I think it was like two owners before the current owner that I knew, Mike, that actually installed instituted that rule it was crazy i okay. don't know who thought of it but they're they're off the rocker for sure <laughs> <laughs> all right so what is this house rule because i don't think it's that crazy i actually think this is amazing it's pretty great so i guess they got to a point in their tournaments and their casual tournaments they didn't have cdh tournaments before kind of my play group made their way into it mm -hmm. but they had this thing where they're like we don't want to just go to turns every time the timer runs out for our casual game. So we right. need some way to figure out how to end these freaking games because they go on for so long and so somebody was like Let's just throw in this uninteractable enchantment called Havoc Festival, which is a real card. Yep. It exists in the world. I didn't know about it beforehand. Yep. But it's a four colorless and then Rakdos enchantment that says players can't gain life. And at the beginning of each player's upkeep, that player loses half his or her life rounded up. Oh, so uninteractable. You couldn't remove it. It just became almost like a plane chase card. It's just in the middle. Everyone's affected by it. It's this. just a part of the game. Yeah. And... Right. I walked into my first tournament and I'm like, what the heck is this? Like, what's going on? <laughs> I was playing a deck that it didn't, it, it ran like Adnaz type effects. So it was very like, Adnaz, use your yeah, life yeah. as a resource kind of thing. So uh -huh. I was at like three when they were like, this is happening to me. 
So, Bummer. I mean, I'm also the person that plays very close to the edge, too, so I feel like this would affect me a bit negatively. But certain cards were still allowed, right? Sure. So you can do like a Platinum Empyrean or a Platinum Angel type effect. So if I didn't see it very often, I was the only one that started to run it because Havoc Festival terrified me. Wow. So, I, so you changed your deck a little bit in, ref, in, in response to this. Yeah. Tool. I was like, let me just put a Fabricate in there too, and then I'll find these things and I'll slap them on the board. And then my whole... <laughs> my whole table was like what i don't think that works and then i was like i'm pretty sure it does because this says my life total can't change so nice yeah. so but obviously this did not apply to your cedh games there was no uninteractable havoc festival there oh my god it did at first we we, we <laughs> my play group was the one that started cdh tournaments because we started showing up to casual nights the only commander night of the week like mm-hmm. wednesday with our cdh decks and they were like absolutely not we're not having this in our casual pod making a tournament right so that so. kind of was a house rule too that you cannot bring a competitive deck into one that's more casual pod. definitely definitely that's kind of like the rule zero kind of thing where you're yeah. like you're we're not here to make everybody miserable so obviously um a lot of casual players don't really understand this but like a CDH player playing with three casual people isn't fun for us either. Like that's not that's not the type of dynamic we want. We want three other CDH players because that's that's what the format is. Right. Like you can't sit down with a commander, a commander deck and one v one someone with legacy deck. That's just not how, how it goes. Right. And so. also the CDH deck, it's not that's not what pub stomping is. Pub stomping is like purposefully going to try and beat people with lower power decks. CDH wants to have an equal playing field for sure, for sure. So we got to we started using this Havoc Festival enchantment. And then we were like, this is absolutely not okay. <laughs> and it, when you think about it, CDH doesn't really have these like long lasting games. Our yeah. average turn, our average game ends on like what, turn four or five ish. Right, right. So this isn't an issue that we were down for. And then we were like, we can stay until like 11 or 12 p.m. just to keep these games going. So we ended up just taking off the timer and the Havoc Festival completely. And it was I fine. see. Yeah, you did not need to artificially end a game at all. Oh, yeah yeah um now you wrote down here finch and sparrows tournament rules i have no idea what that is so you're gonna need to explain that to me so finch and sparrow is a nearby lgs that i went to over the weekend okay and um there i went on reddit and i was like what places in los angeles use play cdh often and they were like well try this place Uh and they were having this big cdh tournament They've only done like one before, I think, where they were like, win a judge promo of Vamp Tutor if Whoa. you come to this thing and win this tournament. And so me and my boyfriend showed up and we were like ready to play and 25 other people showed up and they all had these CDH decks and they were all pretty good. Yeah. There are a couple of people there who had like a CDH deck, but they had never really played before. So they were <laughs> kind of just there for the fun of it. Right. It was but, like getting into a race car and not really knowing what to do. Oh, yeah. Yeah. A really dangerous race car. And then... Uh, their tournament rules they did because there were 25 of us mm-hmm. they did like swiss rounds of five so you had 60 minutes to play your game and then you went to turns after that gotcha and you, there was a point system to it so if you played a deck like a lot of people play where it's supposed to control the control the board state and last a really long time you're gonna go to 60 minutes easily and right. not you're end the draw. game right because that's not how your deck is supposed to function so you would get to that draw state and then everybody would get one point and if you and if one person won that person would get three points so oh, okay drawing was kind of a strategy so you can kind of get points after 
off of that, and a lot of the people in the top eight actually got a lot of their points to get to top eight because they were drawing their games. So how'd you do in the tournament? I won the whole thing. Whoa! <laughs> yeah. So I have. Um, Let's go. So I have a judge promo of Vamp Tutor now. But, nice, nice. Um, well, you showed them, and you didn't need a single Havoc <laughs> Festival to do so. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> um, finally, thank you for joining us. But can you let the no- world know what the right way is to spell C E D H? So there is actually a CDH database. I don't know who it's run by. I just know that it exists and it's very helpful. Mm-hmm. But if you just go to Google and you type in CDH database, it'll give you a bunch of approved decks that are functional in the format and you can literally just go straight to Moxfield and print it off from there. <laughs> and they spell it lowercase c, capital EDH. There you go. So, so I'm just going to go with that. Lowercase competitive, uppercase EDH. Mm-hmm. Like esports? No, not really. All right. Well, thanks so much for joining us, Sean. Always good to hear your perspective. Thanks, Jimmy. All right. Next up, we have Arthur Meadowcroft. All right, thanks for being here, Arthur. I'm excited to talk to you because you're actually engaging with an entire part of Commander culture that not many people in the office know about. In fact, I feel like not very many people play, but it's getting bigger and bigger. So tell us about the Play EDH server that you play on. So Play EDH server is a server on Discord, and you can join it for $1 a month on Patreon. Okay, so they have their own Patreon. It's their own, their whole thing, yep. Yeah, and... You get access to a bunch of different channels, and five of them allow you to join a curated uh, power level. Um, and based on the power level, you'll be queued into games with people with like-minded decks as yours. Oh, interesting. So there is a sort of a regulation or regulatory thing that happens before you even get in there. So not anyone can just go and play. You have to do a couple of things, right? So what are some of the guidelines that are put in place for the healthiness of the community and the patrons? So some of the guidelines they put into place are they restrict access to certain cards. It's not like they come to your house and they're like, hey, <laughs> but, you know, take it out. Yeah, not, not on my watch, but they'll uh, they'll point out if you have Mana Crypt or Gaia's Cradle that those aren't allowed beyond everything lower than high and competitive, which are the two highest. Uh, okay, so those yeah. are the five tiers you talked about, high and competitive or the yeah. top two. Okay. Battle Cruiser, low, mid, high, max. Gotcha. So high and max, uh, you can have uh, Guy's Cradle and Mana Crypt. And are, does that also go for like Mana Vault and other cheap rocks, or is it just those two? Interestingly, it's just those two. Mm. And I mean, yeah, you can draw the line anywhere. And I think that's just where they decided to draw the line. They're very fast mana sources. Yeah, yeah, uh, certainly. Yeah, if you get out early, it's just a completely different game. So I kind of agree with that. Yeah. Uh, what do you think? That's interesting. I think in general, we've seen a lot of this happen in playgroups. Some playgroups just straight up ban all zero mana mana rocks Mm -hmm. because it's too fast and gets people off to too much of an early start. Um, But I'm curious because how does even someone know that you have these things in your deck list? Is there a process? Well, I think it's just like if it happens, then you'd be in poor graces with the community. Like if you play a mana crypt at a certain power level where you're not supposed to, right. then people are like, hey man. You can't they, do that. <laughs> yeah, they might give you a friendly, like uh, like it's cool this game, like obviously it was probably mm-hmm. a mistake, but like, you know, like maybe you just sub it for like a liquid metal torque or something like that, right. an awesome card. <laughs> Another rule that they have is no Thoracal lines in combination with demonic consultation and tainted pact. Oh, unless you're so these in are max. just straight up CEDH win conditions here. Yeah, so you can only play that in the max, which is the highest level, and that also makes sense, just because it's a very, very hard combo to interact with. Right. And I mean, honestly, if you're playing at the lowest level, you don't want to see that anyway. Like that yeah, would be yeah. really weird. So uh, yeah. the deck list before you're even allowed to play, they are checked and vetted. So mm-hmm. how does that process work? 
you one of the other channels on the server you just drop a link into moxfield mm-hmm. and you just have your deck there and they'll just do a scan of it they say that they're gonna put more transparency into how they make their choices but i think most of it is pretty intuitive like if you're running a lot of combos you'll be somewhere in the middle of the pack if not higher mm-hmm. um and yeah a lot of this is rule zero to me it feels like because they're kind of putting in the legwork of being like that conversation they'll have before the game about power level they're helping like situate you mm. with other people they're doing that conversation through the third leg work yeah right right so that makes sense so they're going to assign you a power level and then from there you'll know which channels you can go into to play that deck against other players yeah yeah so how has the game quality been overall now that there are all of these sort of steps and rules are in place to ensure a more balanced group mm-hmm. have you found that's the case when you go out and play yeah, the game quality is really good. And I think that is the trade-off with all these like rules and regulations and keep me, keeping people in check mm-hmm. is that you do end up with people that have more or less a similar deck. Uh, I'd say mid is the most kind of free-for-all. It's like when people say, oh yeah, I have a seven deck. It's like, yeah. <laughs> what does that mean now? <laughs> right. Right, um, right. But yeah, I mean, that being said, it's it's a good time. And people, another kind of unspoken rule zero is people tend not to play stealing cards and theft cards like Gonti and that sort of thing. Gotcha. And I think that's a good rule zero within that community. So yeah, because of those kinds of things, yeah, the play quality of the games is pretty, it's about as good as you'd expect from playing with people where you can't really see their faces and Mm. that sort of thing yeah that's a good point and you make an interesting point too you just don't play cards like bribery or gaunty because Mm -hmm. you can't actually look through their decks if they're not there with you yeah yeah makes perfect sense well that's really interesting to hear a spell table and playing online over uh, the internet it seems to get more and more popular especially in this day and age when maybe you want to play with someone from across the sea or whatever it is so we're really happy to see it happening and thanks so much for sharing i think this is a really interesting look into how regulated something can be but still have a positive experience at the end of it for sure yeah it was great to be here thanks jimmy all right anytime all right next up we have me that's right the last person to talk about house rules today is myself but it's actually kind of an amalgamation between me and craig blanchett so craig couldn't make it in today but he sent along some of the house rules that he plays by and turns out i actually employ a decent number of them myself spoiler alert Uh, For those of you that are sports fans out there, you'll know that there are coaching trees. So like this coach coached these three people, which then coached these teams to these things. And this is a Super Bowl line here and the championship line there or whatever. So the coaching tree that I come from is partially the Craig Blanchett coaching tree because we end up having really similar play styles, especially when I was first getting started. And red runs really deep for both of us. So of course, we would also have some similar sort of house rules that we both love to employ. So uh, the first one is the idea of adding Monarch into your games. So uh, Craig has done this a couple of times. I've done it as well, which, which is either the game starts with the first person doing combat damage, will just get the Monarch automatically. So someone just the, has it in the moment combat damage is dealt, they get Monarch. Or the last player in the turn rotation automatically becomes the first Monarch. Um, so this does a few things. Obviously, it encourages a lot more early interaction. And it actually helps out creature-based strategies a little more than sort of the dirtly and sit-around strategies because obviously if you're like red-white and you need that card draw and you're creature-based, then having Monarch at the table is actually something that you really want. Of course, this also can skew the game a little bit because you're adding in a new mechanic that wasn't there before and it's going to make everyone make different decisions. But I've found that, you know, sometimes being last player, especially in, in, in certain playgroups, can be really punishing. So adding the Monarch in or even just floating the idea like, hey, 
okay, do you all want to start with the Monarch in play this time? First person deal combat damage gets it. And, you know, maybe everyone's already chosen their decks at this point, so they're not going to choose a different deck based on that. But I found that having this early interaction stops a lot of the um, the classic mistakes that a commander group can make, which is just, you know what, I don't want to get anyone angry, so I'm not going to swing at anyone. And while that it can be a legitimate strategy, sometimes you do just want to get things going. So I think adding Monarch into the game, it's also a mechanic that Josh and I have clamored for a lot, uh, is a really great way to speed things up and keep things fresh. Another sort of house rule, and this is maybe more of a personality thing that Craig and I both embody, is the, eh, why the heck not? So this is a very typical reaction that both Craig and I have a lot of times. Um, so classic example, Craig Blanchett, you cast Factor Fiction and you ask Craig to split the piles for you. He'll give you every card in one pile and no card in the other. So you're just going to draw every single card from that. Obviously, this causes some discernment and some anger around the table sometimes, but it's also sort of this mentality of, you know what, let's just, let's make things a little more varied. Let's add the variance and let's add that power level in and let's just make it wild. And maybe sometimes even the, the pile of cards isn't that great. So it's more of a, you know what, let's just give you all of them instead. So, you know, in, in the case of this, it's kind of a mentality that I find can bleed over into the rest of the game. And with that pregame discussion, if people know that you're the kind of player to make more wild sort of crazy plays like this, then maybe that will also engender a slightly more fun and diverse style of play from people where people might take a risk that they wouldn't have otherwise because they know stuff like this happens. Um, another thing too with the eh, why the heck not attitude is if there's a new player and they mulligan and they're like, oh crap, okay, I'm going to mulligan again and they still don't get what they get. You're not forcing them to go down to six cards, then to five. You're just saying, you know what? Why the heck not? Just keep mulliganing until you get a good hand that can play because your deck is a little more new. Maybe you don't have as many great cards in this compared to the other one. So just get a good hand because we want to see the best that your deck has to offer, not make you sit here as a new player and have potentially kind of a boring or long drawn out experience. Um, and then finally, sort of with the eh, why not attitude comes with weird politics. Craig and I will often do this all the time where sometimes we'll just be bloodthirsty and just go after each other for whatever or just jokingly do something or like, hey, you know what? Yeah, I'll swing one at you anyway. And I think this sort of thing, again, it's not necessarily a house rule, but more of a house mentality. It brings that levity and sort of lightheartedness to gameplay that can lend to sort of a longer, more fun, more historic moment-making type of gameplay. And I think as long as the weird politics don't disproportionately affect the other players, like, hey, you know what? Uh, this person's going to win, so I'm just going to do this thing to just mess with everything and then get out of here just because I felt like it. You know, those sorts of things can sometimes create saltier moments. So I think it's, it's more just about having fun and, and maybe challenging the idea of what you think politics normally are in a game to do something a little more off the beaten path and see what happens. Um, another rule that Craig told me about, which I thought was really interesting, and I don't even know if I agree with it necessarily, is that if a player wins two games in a row, they can't be player one in the next game. But they can still be player two, three, or four. So let's say I won two games in a row. For that next dice roll to determine who goes first, I just don't roll at all. The other players roll, and whoever gets first out of that starts the turn order. And I think this might be a result of you know either unbalanced decks or someone is just much more experienced in gameplay or really, really good at politicking and manipulation and can sort of steer the table in their favor. So it's not something I necessarily agree with, but I do like the idea that play groups are trying to self-balance themselves out so that they don't repeat the same thing that happens every time. Because I have been in positions where one player just goes and they win every single game. And 
there's a multitude of reasons that it could happen, but it's not the kind of thing that I think creates the most fun experience for everyone. So if there are ways that you can do this, maybe, hey, you know what? If you've won two games in a row, you're not allowed to play a power level deck above a six because you're just that good of a player. We know you're going to be awesome, but it also means we're not going to gang up on you just because you're winning the most. So uh, these are all just interesting house rules that I think can help augment what you're doing here. What Craig has said and what I have said is, is more sort of focused on the fun aspect of anything else. And me, I play tons of board games. And so I think it's really important to just make sure that you're creating fun and that players can play at the end of it. And not at the sake of competitiveness necessarily, not the sake of making the right choices, but just making sure that you're keeping that sort of same foundation sound so that when it comes to it, everyone is leaving the experience with a smile on their face. All right. That's going to wrap it up for this fun episode about rule zero, the house rules, and how to implement them in your playgroup. Remember, discussion, doing it more, getting more practice in. These are the best ways to help broach these conversations and hopefully get your playgroup to a space that maybe is a little more fun than it was yesterday, but also not altering it so much that you're completely changing the dynamics of the game for everyone around. So a careful balance to be made. Thank you all so much for listening. And to the listeners, this is the easiest one ever. Are you a house rules user? What are your house rules? Are you an enthusiast? Are you someone that says, no way the house rule, let's just play by the book. And let's know if there are any special things or cool things that were tremendous successes or maybe abysmal huge failures as well. It's always good to learn from the good and the bad. And especially now that we have this amazing capability to share with everyone and let everyone else read what we're doing in our play groups. Hopefully you can take a little bit of negative information from what people share here online, on Twitter, on YouTube, wherever it might be, and add it to your own play group. Finally, Support the show, channelfireball.com slash command. That's right. You've been thinking about some cards you want to play because of these new house rules. Maybe you're going to buy a Havoc Festival to introduce for your games that are going way too long. Well, the place to do it is channelfireball.com slash command. That's the promo code. Real easy. Type it into a browser or just use code command at checkout and you'll be purchasing cards from thousands of different vendors across the world, all sorts of different LGSs. So you're supporting a local economy as well. And of course, Ultra Pro. They make amazing products. We use them to support our products on the show with their dice, their play mats, their sleeves, their deck boxes. You name it, they can make it. Uh, I use all of their binders when it comes to storing my cards because I trust them to make the highest quality product on the market. And they're also the most consistent and they've been doing it for the longest time. And hey, if we trust them with our game pieces, I think that says a lot about how good their stuff is, especially when it comes to, I have different Ultra Pro sleeves for Draft. I have different Ultra Pro sleeves for my Commander decks. I have all sorts of different products from them because they fit the needs of me as a player. And I know they do for many players around the world as well. Finally, no end step to talk about something cool outside the world of Magic because my throat is about to drop out of my body and collapse in a pile of ash i've talked way too much of this episode so we're just going to move right on over to the cleanup set where you give a big thanks to everyone and our amazing team here at the command zone so big thanks obviously to everyone that showed up in this episode and everyone else here i'm going to list them all off we got <gasps> Arthur Meadowcroft, Shauna Gillis, Damon Lenz, Lady Danger, Manson Lung, Craig Blanchett, Ashlyn Rose, Josh Murphy, Jake Boss, Patrick Nan, Jordan Pridgen, Sam Waldo, Grav Galati, Truck Tie, Jamie Block, and Evan Limberger, and of course, Josh Lee Kwai, who wasn't on this episode, but we love them all the same. And big thanks, as always, to Jeffrey Palmer. He does the living card animations that start our videos at youtube.com slash Podcast, And you can also find him online at Twitter at livingcardsmtg. All right. That does it, everyone. I hope you find a way to make your playgroup rule just a little bit more with some better rule zero discussions and maybe some fun house rules to add on top. We'll see you next time. Peace.
Thank you for your attention. For further inquiries, send an email to commandcast at rocketjump.com or ask us on Twitter at JF Wong and at Josh Lee Kwai. See you later, alligator. Greetings, humans. (laughs) (laughs) Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs done well. I absolutely love this because you know if you own a home, it can be really hard to maintain. It's hard to find people that can help you for a big project or a small. Well, whether it's in everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality, it can be hard just to know where to start. But now all you need to do is answer that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich, but you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.